Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Y'all got a whole extra hour of sleep, didn't you? Except for those of you with little children. They didn't get the memo. They never do. They never do. You know, I, uh, I actually didn't sleep that great, to be honest, last night. You'd think with that extra hour, it'd be helpful. But I've been struggling a little bit. I have with on and, on and off again neck pain, I just kind of wrestle with. And, um, and so I've been trying to think about how am, I, how am I sleeping? Like, what position am I sleeping on? Ever since I was a little kid, I always loved sleeping on my stomach. That's just like the most comfortable thing. I think I still feel so good. But it's not good for your neck because your neck's always turned sideways, right? So I've been trying to like, I bought different pillows, you know, I got these futuristic looking pillows and, you know, and try sleeping on my back or try sleeping on my side and I can't do my back, it just doesn't work. But I'm, I'm working on the side thing and I cheat a lot and sleep on my stomach a lot. So that's probably part of the problem. But one of the things I noticed when I was sleeping on my back is I would have these wild, crazy, random dreams that I never really get when I'm sleeping on my side or my stomach rarely. And I don't, some, some of you are nodding your heads. You're like, okay, it makes me feel better. I thought maybe I was like just weird or something like that, but maybe that's a scientific thing. Um, but I, it would, I mean, sometimes don't, we just have the wildest, wildest dreams. And do you ever wonder if a dream is just a dream or if it could mean something sometimes? Have you ever wondered that? Yeah, yeah. There have been a number of studies done regarding very common dreams that maybe you've had some of these common dreams and, and what their potential meaning could be. And, um, and this could, I don't know the accuracy of these, but I just kind of got a, on a rabbit trail, like looking stuff up. And, uh, and these were just kind of fun, I thought, to speculate on. So have you ever had a dream about falling? Have you ever had a dream about falling? A number of people, okay. So one study found that could be because maybe something in your life isn't going quite well or you might need to rethink some certain choice. Um, what about a dream about being chased by something or someone, right? That's always a doozy. You wake up and you're like, heart's racing, right? You feel like you ran a marathon, but you've been in bed the whole time, right? That might mean that you're trying to avoid something in your daily life. Or what about dreams where you have like a, a pop quiz or a test that you haven't studied for? Does anybody, anybody, I still get those. I've been in school for years, but I still get those. Um, and that, they say that could mean a fear of failure in some area of your life. Or finally, last one, what about the dream where you, you really, really, really have to go to the bathroom? You know what that one means? That means you better get up real quick because you really have to go to the bathroom, right? Otherwise, you're going to be dreaming about being in a nice warm bath pretty soon and then be disappointed. Uh, but, uh, and all for fun, right? It's, again, I don't know if any of that's true whatsoever, but is it possible that some dreams could actually have a significant meaning? I think so. I think so because in the Bible, we see numerous times where someone has a significant dream with a significant message from God. Today, we're continuing in a series called Living in a Foreign Land, looking at the life of Daniel uh, and some of his friends. And we've already talked about a few key stories found in Daniel. And today we're going to be looking at Daniel 4, and it's all about a dream. It's all about a dream that needs to be interpreted. And, and 
And as we talked over the last few weeks, the book of Daniel is almost entirely set, not in Israel, but actually in Babylon, a foreign nation to the Jewish people. And it's around, um, and it was taking place around 600 years before Jesus. And probably as a teenage boy, Daniel and some of his friends were, they were taken away from their homes and they were exiled 900 miles away off to Babylon. But while they were there, God had great favor upon them, great favor upon them. Uh, And he elevated them to a high, high place of influence within the government, within the king's court. And, And really since chapter one, we've learned that the king named Nebuchadnezzar has been thoroughly impressed by Daniel and his talents and his giftings, and uh, especially his knack, seemingly knack for interpreting dreams. Daniel 1.17 says this, that Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So we, we see a couple different times actually in the book of Daniel that Daniel interprets the king's dreams. And today we're gonna look at just one of the examples in Daniel 4. But this dream that starts off seemingly pretty good kind of takes a turn more like a nightmare. And so I've called today's talk Nightmare on Babylon Street. And, uh, and let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for just being here with us today, Lord. Thank you for each person here. And I pray that today we would just encounter more of you, whether that's in the talk or worship or prayer ministry time, but that you would just be with us and you would just show us that you're sovereign over all of our lives. Just pray that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Daniel 4, it starts off with King Nebuchadnezzar and he finds himself like living the good life, right? Content, prosperous, has pretty much everything he could ever dream of, uh, at least he thinks so. And then one night he has this dream that scares him, it terrifies him. And he doesn't know what the dream means. And so he goes to his wise men, all of his wise men together, and he calls them the magicians and enchanters and astrologers. And he tells them all the dream, but none of them can interpret the dream and tell him what it means. And finally, Daniel shows up. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, finally, you're here, right? Because he knows that Daniel can interpret dreams. He believes that he believes that Daniel hears from the gods, it says. And, and so we're gonna see what Daniel has to say about it, but he tells Daniel the dream and we're gonna start off in verse 10. This was the dream. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. It, its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So kind of a weird image of a dream, but it's a dream, right? Dreams are typically kind of unusual. So in the dream, the king sees this enormous tree Beautiful, elaborate tree. It's literally covering the whole world in, the, in, the, in his dream. Uh, 
And it, it's um, providing shelter and food for every living thing. Uh, and everything just seems blissful. Everything just seems perfect until an angel shows up, messenger from heaven, and he shouts and says, cut down the tree, cut down the tree, Scatter all, scattering all the animals, and, but leave the stump, leave its roots, leave them bound up, imprisoned in chains and, and, and iron and bronze. And if that's not an odd enough image, it gets odder in the story when it, all of a sudden the stump becomes personified. It says, let him, referring to the stump, be, be drenched with the dew and live in the outdoors. Let his mind be like that of an animal till seven times has passed. And seven times probably means seven years, probably means seven years. And so this is the, the dream that he has that the king tells Daniel. And because its interpretation isn't as easy as you, you probably should need to get up and go to the bathroom, uh, he asks Daniel for wisdom. He says, what, do you, what does this mean? So how does Daniel respond? Well, Daniel, Daniel responds very interestingly. Verse 19, then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said to him, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Skip down to verse 22. Your majesty, you are the tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Down to 25. But you will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched in the dew for seven times. Seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, can you imagine being Daniel in this situation? Having to be the one to break the bad news to the king, right? Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. Sorry to say, you're the tree. You're strong and powerful, but you will be cut down to a stump. You are the one who's gonna be driven out into the wilderness and, and eat the grass like an ox for seven years. You know, it's no wonder Daniel was initially perplexed and confused. I mean, this is, how could this happen? Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world. Nobody, nobody is, is, has any power over him except for maybe one, or definitely for one, except for God. And so this is gonna take an act of God to, to, for this to happen. It's also no wonder that Daniel was scared right? I mean, give the king good news or no news, but don't give him bad news, right? Just like, don't give him bad news. Like, it makes me wonder uh, if all the other wise men couldn't interpret the dream or just didn't want to interpret the dream. Like, uh, we don't know what that means, right? Like, I don't want to be the one to tell you. But there's Daniel, right? He could, let him do it, right? Let him take the brunt of it. And I love, I love Daniel's humanity, that we see in this story. I love the realness that we see in him. You know, that he, he's, he is, he's perplexed, he's nervous, he's scared, but yet, but yet he also shows kindness. We see the kindness that he extends towards the king. Like you can tell that, that Daniel genuinely cares for him when he says, if this only applied to your enemies and not to you. But Daniel goes on to, to encourage him that there's hope. There will be hope after these seven years. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree 
with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. He says, you Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. You will grow again when you acknowledge that God is sovereign over everything, including you. And then with great boldness and courage, Daniel gives the king some advice. He says this, therefore, verse 27, your majesty, please be accepted to, please, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. He, he, he respectfully says, he's respectful, but he says, turn away from your sins, do the right thing. Take care of the oppressed, the poor, the needy in your kingdom. And maybe, maybe, no promises, but maybe then this all won't happen to you. So what does the king say to Daniel back? How does he respond to his interpretation and his advice? Is he, is he grateful for it? Is he ticked off, right? Is he really frustrated or angry? We don't actually know. It doesn't tell us what exactly Nebuchadnezzar said, if he said anything at all. But the next part of the story clues us in that the king did not listen to his advice. He did not heed his advice. And we read this in verse 29. 12 months later, a whole year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. What, what, exactly what Daniel said would happen, happened. The king was walking along on a, the roof of his grand royal palace that he had built, probably admiring his, his beautiful hanging gardens, the, the famous hanging gardens of Babylon that were one of the ancient wonders of the world. They were believed historically to have been built by Nebuchadnezzar. There's just a one artist's picture of what it may have looked like. Um, but it was believed that his palace was probably positioned high, looking down over the whole kingdom. And so with great pride, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he's standing at the top and he says to himself, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. This is all because of me, right? This is all because of my power and my glory. I'm the one, essentially, he's saying, I'm the one to be worshiped. I'm the one to be praised. And so he hasn't, he hasn't taken Daniel's advice. He's full of pride and he hasn't given God credit. And even while he's still speaking, a voice from heaven declares what, what he said would happen a full year before was now gonna happen. And immediately he becomes mentally unwell. For seven years, he wanders in the wilderness, eating grass like an ox. Now, now we can hear this story and we can think, is this real? Like, this is weird, right? This is unusual. Oftentimes the Bible gets criticized for being like more of a legend or myth, especially when it comes to stories like this one that are a little bit you know, far-fetched or, or unlikely at least. But did you know that actually 
This is a true mental illness. There are cases, it's rare, but there are cases of this. It's called, the condition is called boanthropy. And uh, it's a psychological disorder in which the sufferer believes he or she is a cow or an ox. Bo is short for bovine. And it falls kind of into a similar category as like uh, schizophrenia or other types of paranoia. And it has been documented in a few, it's rare, but a few cases. And so we, they, we think this is what actually did happen. But after seven years, after seven years of living like this, what happens next? Well, Daniel, it says this in Daniel 4, 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. The next verse, he goes into this, this long, like poetic um, poem about God and how great he is. But we're gonna skip that for right now. Verse 36, he says this, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom too. My advisors sought me out and I was restored to my throne and I became greater, even greater than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So after seven years, after seven years, he spits out his cud, done with that. His sanity comes back to him and, and he's restored. He's restored, but he's restored when he does what? When he, when not, it's not when he looked down on his own kingdom, right? It's when he looked up to heaven. It's not when he declared his own praises, Right? It's when he declared praises of all that God had done. After seven complete years, seven's the number of completeness in the Bible. Uh, when he humbled himself, his, his, he, he not only gained his sanity back, his mental health back, but also his kingdom and became even greater than it was before. And as far as I know, these are the, I think the last words that King Nebuchadnezzar says in the Bible, which I think is very interesting in the end. He, like Daniel, came to the point of worshiping and following the one true God. Now, what can we take away from this pretty unusual story, I would say? The first thing I think we need to think about, well, who is, who is really the main character in this story? Right? Is, this, is it Daniel? I don't think so. Is it even Nebuchadnezzar? I don't think so. I think the main character in this story is God. God's the main story of all the book of Daniel well, and the whole Bible, right? So like, it's God. So what can we learn about God? What can we learn about God from this story? Um, well, we can learn that one, that he's absolutely sovereign, absolutely sovereign, that no one is above God, not even the most powerful ruler in the entire world, not the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, not even the elected king or president of the United States of America, right? We, we can see that God is sovereign over everybody over everybody. And we can also learn about God's character, his graciousness and his mercy and his patience. You know, God is, he was gracious enough to warn King Nebuchadnezzar, to send, send him, well, to give him a dream and then to send uh, an angelic messenger to, to tell him about the dream and then to send Daniel to interpret that dream. He was gracious enough to give him a chance to repent of his sins, of his pride. And God was patient with Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't, he didn't make him do it right away. He, he basically, he gave him a whole year. He gave him 12 months, 
whole year before that dream became a reality. He was patient to let him, give him time to, to repent. But even after the time of his consequence was over, we see God's mercy, that he not only restored him mentally, but he also restored him to his kingdom. And it became even greater and better than before, not because of what Nebuchadnezzar had done, but because of how he now acknowledged where all his power and authority comes from. You know, when we look at our lives and we think about the things we've done, the good things we've done, the good things we've accomplished, like who gets the glory and praise for that? Do we, do we give it to ourselves or do we give it to God? When you ace that test or get that promotion or you look at your kids' accomplishments and all they've done, do you think that solely is on you and you alone? Or does it cause you to worship God even more? All, I mean, we are so quick when things go wrong to turn to God and say, where are you, God? But when things are going right, are we just as quick to turn to him and praise him? God is gracious and patient and merciful. And God's goal is always restoration, always restoration. God is on a mission to restore not just the Babylonian king to his kingdom, but to restore the whole world and everything to himself, to usher in his kingdom, right? That's why Jesus came. He said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. This is what I've come for. I've come to begin and usher in and inaugurate the kingdom of God. And he did that in his first coming. And we will fully see that and experience that when he comes again. But our God is a restorative God. So we can learn a lot about looking at the, at the character of God in this story. And we can also learn a lot by looking at the character and example of Daniel in this story too, especially when it comes to difficult conversations and potential conflict, right? In a culture that is changing. We've been talking about this. Our culture is changing. We have lots of different viewpoints on lots of different topics. And so how do we handle difficult conversations and potential confrontation situations, but do it well, to do it biblically. Well, I think we have a beautiful example here in Daniel. When we see Daniel, who has a soft heart, but steady feet. Soft heart, but steady feet. Let me explain what I mean by that. Daniel had a soft heart. He was kind to the king, who was very different from him and had a very different view of the world, but he didn't wish harm upon him. And he says, oh, oh, I wish this wasn't for you, right? I wish this was for somebody else. He cared about him, right? He could have come down hard on the king. He could have said, well, you deserve what's coming because you've been selfish and prideful and apparently you've been mis mistreating the oppressed. And, 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 but he, he was soft towards him. He, he, he was caring towards him. He was respectful to, towards him, but he also wasn't a pushover. He, wasn't, he didn't just roll over. He, he wasn't just silent. He, he didn't just tell the king what he thought the king would want to hear, right? He told, he, he had steady feet. He stood on solid ground and, and, and told him what, he, he said what he believed God wanted him to say. And he warned the king. He did it kindly, but he did it boldly and respectfully. And he offers him this advice. He says, your majesty, if it pleases you, if it pleases the king, here is my advice, right? Stop sinning, do the right thing, take care of the most needy, and maybe... God will not allow this dream to come to pass. Now, I think like Daniel, this is helpful to think like this. Like Daniel, it, it helps to have permission to speak into that person's life. 
This isn't a license to like go around and, and look for people to confront, right? This, the king came to Daniel to interpret his dream. Daniel did not force his wisdom on the king, right? The king asked for his thoughts. Years ago, when I was a student at Ohio State, there was this guy who would show up on campus and I don't know if this is his real name or not, but we called him Brother Jeb. And, uh, and he, he would go to the center of campus on the Oval, if you're familiar with Ohio State's campus. It's a big grassy area with all these paths that kind of cut and cross from buildings. And thousands of kids, thousands of young people, students, will cross that every hour to get from one class to the other. And he would stand on the Oval and he would look at total strangers people he'd never met before. And he might look at a young woman and point to her and look at what she was wearing and just call her the most derogatory names and say, you need to repent of your sins. He believed he was called from God to do this. He was, you need to repent of your sins. And then people were like, you don't know her. And so they would kind of come to her aid and, and then they would get called derogatory names. And I just remember, I just try to go around him. Like, I'm not dealing with this guy. But it wasn't like they knew each other it wasn't like they had, there was trust between them. It wasn't like they had a relationship or there was rapport or that they could come and speak into each other's lives. You know, this story of Daniel, if it was misinterpreted, could be seen as a license for Christians to essentially be jerks, right? To just go around and bash people over the head with the Bible. But, but when we do find ourselves in situations where maybe somebody has come to us, and they're, they're asking our advice or they want our help. Or, and there's, a, there's, a, there's permission there to speak into that person's lives where we're, we're kind of in Daniel's shoes. It can still be scary sometimes. It can still be a difficult conversation. But if we can communicate with a soft heart and, and still steady feet, then we can leave it up to the other person on how they wanna respond. Like we're not responsible for how other people respond. Other times though, we're gonna be in situations where we find ourselves more like in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes, right? Where it's God's grace and it's his kindness that he puts other Daniels in our lives to help us see more clearly what maybe we couldn't see at first. Do any of you know what a, a, a stereogram is? Anybody ever heard, know what that is? Maybe some, a couple, okay, yep. I'll say there's usually, some of you probably know what it is more, you just didn't know that's what it was called. But a stereogram is like a picture within a picture, okay? It usually looks like a repetitive like wallpaper pattern from like the 90s, like on your computer screen or something. If you wanna throw that up. So something like this, like where it's just a lot of repetitive stuff. But actually hidden within this is another picture. And it's not in the actual like print, it's actually like in the background. And the way it works is um, if you, close your eye, not close your eyes, but if you like cross your eyes or you look at it from different angles, you can see an image kind of come out like 3D from the middle. When I was a kid, we used to call these magic eye pictures. I don't know if that's what they were called, but I remember a friend like had a book of these and, and I was looking at it and I could not figure it out. I could not see it. And, and, and he was so friendly. He was like, well, that's because you're doing it wrong, you idiot. No, he wasn't like that. He was so kind and he said, well, just take your time. Take your time. And he said, just, okay, try looking from this angle. Okay, try putting it a little bit closer. Now move it away. Let your eyes, try to, try to let your eyes get blurry. And it's hard to do on a screen like here. So I know some of you are trying so hard right now. It's okay. It's okay. It's not a test. But 
but eventually I could do it. I could see this image pop out that I didn't know was there before. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. You know, in the story that we read, it took Nebuchadnezzar eight years to see what God wanted him to see. It took eight years. Daniel, you know, assumingly was patient during that whole time. That's, you know, but once Nebuchadnezzar saw God, he couldn't unsee him. Once he saw God's sovereignty over his life, he couldn't unsee that. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. We need each other to encourage us and to advise us. And even if we never see it the same way, or we, we never see the same image, we still need each other to just love us and be kind to us and care for us like Daniel did for Nebuchadnezzar. It's like a rabbit, by the way, if you've been trying so hard, it's like a wild hare. Uh, I tried to find one with a guy dressed in an ox costume eating grass. They don't, apparently they don't make those. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's kind of cool. So I'll end with this. And this is probably gonna feel like a, a big hard turn in a totally random different direction, but, uh, but I'll bring it back on topic. So as I was praying this week about this topic, in this passage. You know, Mon, I always go and I think, God, what do you, what do you wanna speak through this passage to me about? What do you wanna, what do you wanna draw out in this? And, and, and I don't know if, if you're like me, but I've also been praying for other things in my life, especially for this election coming up this week. Did, did you know there's an election next week? Did you know that? Have you seen any signs, right? There's a lot out there, yeah. And, um, and, I, and you know, depending on where you live, there, you, know, you might have a number of local officials, city council, uh, school board members that are up for election. And, and you know, there's two key issues. Issue one, which is a vote on a state constitutional amendment regarding reproductive decision-making. And issue two, which is surprising to me that more people have been talking about, is a vote on uh, the legalization, regulation, and taxation of marijuana in the state of Ohio. And we have always taken a position here at the church that we are not gonna tell you how to vote. We're not gonna tell you how to vote, but we are gonna ask you to pray. We are gonna ask you to pray. And as I've been praying, I've just been asking Lord, hey, Lord, could there be anything in this passage that could be for us to consider? And as I was thinking about this this week, I felt like God showed me just a couple of things. And if the worship team wants to kind of start to make their way back out here, if they're back there. Um, and again, I recognize this story is not the same exact story. I'm not trying to say it's the exact same situation. But I was thinking about it. It's kind of like in this story, we do see that Daniel was given influence and asked his input into the government, into the king, right? And in a sense, when we vote, that's what we're being asked of. We're being asked our input of what we think about the government and what, how it should be run and how it should, what it should be doing or not doing. And so I just wanna encourage you, if this election is feeling perplexing or confusing or hard to interpret in any way, I would just encourage you like Nebuchadnezzar to seek out a wise man or a wise woman in your life, a Daniel or two in the next day or two, to just say, hey, what are your thoughts on all this stuff? I'd love to hear, you know, somebody that you trust that you would give permission to, to speak into your life about that. And, and also I just would encourage you to, then when it's time to pray, to pray, to be very prayerful and cast your vote on these issues just like Daniel encouraged Nebuchadnezzar in a way that seeks to please God by, by, doing, what, what, by doing the right thing and, and the, the way that you think will care for the most oppressed, 
most needy, most vulnerable, most voiceless people. And I, and, I, and I know, and I think both sides would argue that they believe that's what they're doing. And so I would ask you to just pray that God would show you. And I believe he will. He will show you how to cast those votes. And for those of you who are gonna be voting for local officials, would you consider not just thinking about their knowledge, their experience, or the party they belong to, but would you also take into consideration, is this person, he or she, a person with a soft heart and steady feet like Daniel? Because we need more Daniels serving in our, in our government, both locally, statewide, nationally, all that. And ultimately, in the, in the end, no matter how it all shakes out, come Wednesday morning, can we trust? Can we trust that God is completely sovereign in our time, in our place right here and now? Can we do that, that he is in control? Can we trust that nothing is gonna stop God on his mission to fully restore his kingdom here on earth? That, that he is over all of our elected leaders and, and that we can have a confident hope found in him, that he is, he is worthy of our praise and of our worship. Can we do that? Can we do that? Well, then we're gonna do just fine, I think. All right, why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.